grad student. Happy first day of classes to me. Yes, I'm a fifth year and I am still taking classes. Why do any of you take advice from me? Anyways, happy start of fall semester. I know that some of you have already started and I hope that your first few days have gone or are going smoothly and that we all stay as healthy as possible this semester. If this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, hello and welcome. Thanks for being here and welcome to the podcast I started during quarantine. Some people baked bread, I baked a podcast. Today's episode is extra special because today's guest has actually already earned her PhD, and this topic and one I have coming up in a few weeks are especially for students who are nearing the end of their journey, thinking about next steps, but if you are new or you're applying this year, there are tons of episodes coming up for you too, so stay tuned. Reminder that we are at almost 20 patrons, and I'll be doing a special social media and podcast shout out for all new patrons who join between now and when we hit 20. And there will be a merch giveaway available to all patrons when we hit 20. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash deargradstudent. And even better, I'm going to stop mentioning this as soon as we hit it. So it's a win-win for everybody around. All right, well, I have to go. Um, I'm taking two stats classes this semester. So send your thoughts and prayers, your T's and P's. Uh, enjoy this episode. In the meantime, I'll just be drowning in code and crying about causal inference. But like, it's fine. Anyways, today's episode is all about finding, applying, and picking a postdoc with first-year postdoc, Dr. Shafali Singh. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to your favorite grad school podcast, Dear Grad Student, the podcast where grad students can come together to celebrate, commiserate, and support one another through this long and difficult journey. I'm Alana, I'm a fifth-year doctoral student and your host, and I'm joined today by a first-year postdoc who is modernizing neuropsychological evaluations using digital tools, Dr. Shafali Singh. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Alana, for having me. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Like I said in your intro, you're a first-year postdoc. Congratulations on the doctor thing and the postdoc thing, by the way. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> it feels like longer has passed since. I, <laughs> I bet. Has, but <laughs> I feel like with the last year with like COVID and everything and like being on the job market for postdocs, like you have survived it and I'm really happy to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, before we get started, I want to remind everybody where they can find you online, social media, whatever you have. So where can listeners connect with you? Yes. I started Twitter in the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, yes. It's just Dr. Shafali, S-H-I-F-A-L-I, Singh, S-I-N-G-H. So hopefully that's simple enough. So they can just find me on Twitter uh, and feel free to reach out or DM me or whatever. Yes, I love that. And of course, people who have been listening to the podcast forever or maybe newcomers, welcome. You can find everything you need to connect with Shafali in the description for the episode. But let's go ahead and start with, I don't know, my, I think this is my favorite. I like to put people in context, which sounds dramatic. It is. I want to hear a little bit about what you research. And I think that this is important, especially in this sort of like postdoc, how to do and get to find a postdoc episode, because fields are different. And I know that a lot of people listening to the podcast are in psychology. For those of you who are not, 
this episode will still apply to you. You know, I feel like I'm like, what, almost 50 episodes in and I'm still apologizing that half my episodes are related to psychology. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's just my context. Uh, But let's go ahead and put you in yours. So what do you research? Tell me a little bit about like what your interests are and what your thing is. Yeah, definitely. So I'm a neuropsychologist. And so I I do both clinical work and research. And my research really focuses on integrating the two. So a lot of the neuropsychological assessments that we use are that they only measure really a snapshot of cognitive functioning. And the normative data that we have aren't that great. They're, you know, very sort of heteronormative. They're small in terms of sample size um, and they're old. And that can be a problem due to, you know, cultural diversity and things like that. My research is really focusing on how can we use technology that we have today and sort of either supplement or replace some of our digital or some of our traditional neuropsychological tests. And so my research is with Dr. Laura Germina at Harvard Medical School and the Institute for Technology and Psychiatry at McLean Hospital, very long. And um, what we do is we look at fluctuations in cognitive functioning throughout the day. uh, And that's using digital cognitive assessments that fall under the category of cognitive EMA is what we call them. And so basically we're determining ways of using digital tools in a lot of different capacities to assess cognitive constructs that we can't assess through traditional neuropsychological assessments. So not only am I doing that in the wild, but I'm also (laughs) doing that in uh, the clinics. I'm half in a clinical setting and half in a research setting. So I'm also working to implement those in a clinical setting and cross-validate digital tools with our traditional tests. And so digital tools just give us a lot of opportunities that we are not even aware of. And so it's something that I think we really need to focus on. And, you know, it's not innovation for innovation's sake, rather it's how can we get more precise and accurate measurements of someone's cognition outside of our clinic. Wow. Very cool. I also feel like relevant for my own research, which like, I don't know, we'll talk after. Uh, But I think that it's really cool because the first thing that came to my mind immediately was like, this increases accessibility as well, right? You think about like people who... I I actually, I can't think, I don't know, ADHD assessments, different things like that, who are looking to have that assessed. Or even if we look at like cognitive aging and like wanting to track that over time or like changes people are experiencing, a lot of people at every age use their iPad every single day, use their iPhone every single day. Being able to have that accessible for a doctor to track someone's cognition can tell a lot of information. The other thing that I think of, and this is really for those of us not in psychology, those of us, people listening, not in psychology, I'm in psychology. Uh, You know, when you go to get a neuropsychological test, like if you know you're about to get an IQ test, you get really nervous, right? There's the whole like just walking into a room and having a single person sit across from you and give you these tests that you know are going to determine something in your life is like nerve wracking. Absolutely. So this also just being approachable in a digital way, like to feel like a game or just feel less horrifying, (laughs) I feel like is really important and is exactly what you're speaking to. Like, it's not just for the sake of randomness. Like, this is very useful and kind of eliminates some of the error that we pick up in those tests of just people being freaked out by the process. Absolutely. That's such a great point. I mean, if you think about it, I always like to conceptualize things in the most extreme examples to yeah, like understand. Yeah. And so if you can imagine like someone's daring you to jump off a cliff, but then they're like, 
hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give you three digits and I'd like you to repeat them back to me. Yeah. You know, you're not going to encode it. You're not going to attend to that. And so you're not going to, you're going to look like you have, you know, potentially about working memory or, you know, something else. And so we need to identify, you know, ways that we can actually assess cognitive functioning that are, you know, ecologically valid. Like someone might just be having a bad day. Does that mean that they have poor cognitive functioning or mild neurocognitive disorder? No, that that might just mean that they had a bad day or they didn't sleep or they're too anxious or, you know, in this Zoom environment or telehealth environment, they have, you know, their dogs barking and their babies in the other room crying. And, you know, it's there's just so many different factors that I think impact cognitive functioning. And I think our strength as neuropsychologists is not in just assessment. Giving tests is great, but it's a very, very small part of what we do. Our superpower is really integrating all of the, you know, the patient as a whole and putting the cognitive test in that context. And so the more that context that we can account for, the better we can measure someone's cognition and their daily functioning. I love that you just called that a superpower. I'm like living for that. (laughs) But I think it's true, you know, for most people who are listening, I talked about this in episode 30. You know, I recently switched out of clinical and just to experimental just because the clinical work thing wasn't my thing. But I have such respect for people who are so passionate and so into it and who really get energy from it. And I think that one thing that I gained from it was that ability to conceptualize, to think about the person as a whole. And it certainly is going to influence my research forever, having had that context and having had that that full training, because I would have applied an internship this fall. So I was like, I had the hours. Yeah. Yeah, I just decided it wasn't for numerous reasons. Anyways, episode 30, you can listen if you're interested. Yeah. But just hearing the way that you talk about it, I'm like inspired in a way because I'm like, that is what it looks like to be super dedicated to clinical work and to blend it with research. And I just think it's so needed in the field. So I just think what you're doing is very cool. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. It's always nice to get. (laughs) Yeah, to be like, what you do is important and be like, wow, I'm not useless. Yeah, I get that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, thank you. I'm excited about it. I think that we have, I mean, we're doing a lot of partnerships. Like I'm really interested in speech, for example. I think Mm. that's something, language is something we don't assess very well in neuropsych. So we're partnering with MIT right now and a private company in Cambridge to sort of understand how we can use speech as context as well. Mm. And we can look at things and like use like voice acquisition software to look at like environmental noise, right? And see like, hey, this person didn't do well on this cognitive test. What was the noise like around them? And it was like at a certain decibel level. And we could be like, oh, okay. And then they were in a loud environment. Like how did that affect them? Right. So like the more and more context and data points we can get, the better, the more precise I feel like we could be. Let's go ahead and pivot to talking about this postdoc experience, sort of the the finding, applying, and picking a postdoc, which I know you can speak on all three points just per the very short conversation that we had before we started recording. And, you know, we are entering another academic year, right? I mean, jobs are just starting to be posted. I was like, I'm not on the job market this year, but, you know, the psych wiki page for jobs is already being updated. There's already a ton of postings. So I figured every field is probably going through this and everyone has different advice about when to start looking, how to look, you know, so this isn't like it. There are lots of different ways to approach finding a postdoc, but I did want to give everybody listening who's in grad school thinking about the next step, a little bit of information about postdoc in some way, because I cannot speak to this. I'm not on the job market. I'm not looking for one. Uh, So you are really the, uh, I guess, expert for today's episode. So first, I would love to just like hear the general story of like grad school defining a postdoc. How did that go? Like, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, I am okay. Uh, so it's been quite the journey in in clinical, especially because that's you know my context. That's what I can speak to. Sure, you're always applying for something, right? <laughs> Every year. Yeah. I mean, when when you tell people that like who aren't in clinical psych or or not even just it, not in grad school, right? Like how many things you have to apply to? They're just like, wow. Like every year, you're basically trying to prove yourself, right? Yeah. And so you apply for practicum every year. They're competitive. I mean, I was in Chicago, right, which is a very very competitive market for neuropsychology. But I was really fortunate in that I I got where I wanted to be and. I had some amazing mentors, amazing Mm -hmm. in Chicago, but yeah, you're applying for everything, right? And it's every single year and you're managing that on top of clinical work. And then also trying to, you know, do a thesis, (laughs) defend your master's, do your COVs, do your dissertation, right? And And publish 50 papers along the way because clinical Right. Publish, present, go to conferences, you know, make sure your finances are okay. You know, all all sorts of things, right? You're managing so many different things. And my story in particular, I can kind of briefly go through it. My my second year, my PI, who I absolutely loved and adored, died of lung cancer. Oh my God. And yeah, it it was devastating. And then once I sort of had time to process that, I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I like I need a new lab. Yeah. And so I switched to like a seasonal affective disorder lab, which is like totally not, like not in my right. wheelhouse, but I know that I could do the work I wanted to do and just have this person as a touch point and that's really what he was, my PI. But it left me in this position where I was like very very autonomous, which I actually like and thrive in that kind of environment. And yeah. so I you know, I did my master's thesis, I defended right before I like got married. Then oh a month later, defended my dissertation, and then a month later, applied for internship. It oh, was just insane. Like so casual. Just like, <laughs> it, it was, was it was so insane. So yeah, I I definitely understand those peaks and valleys of like really really high stress and times when you're like, okay, like I think I'm in a good flow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I remember the internship process just being really really intense and just like interviewing at twelve different sites, flying oh one gosh. from one place to another, and just being like could I live here? You know, will my husband want to move here? Was this like months before COVID too? Um, no, this was the year before. Okay. 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 I was just like trying to keep the timeline in my head. I was like, okay, where was this? And like, when does that hit? I was like stress. Right. Right. When is like the, you know, apocalyptic start. Yeah. Period start. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so I, I did internship and, uh, it was at rush and it was fully clinical, fully neuropsych, Mm -hmm. just like a few like psychotherapy patients out the year. But what I really found, and this is something I encourage all graduate students to do, no matter where you are, is to check in with your yourself. Mm. And I constantly throughout graduate school, I think the only reason I am okay is that I constantly checked in with myself. And that doesn't just mean like, do I like this or not? That's certainly a part of it. Checking in with yourself means like, am I uncomfortable in one specific area of my training? Like when I, do I wake up in the morning that I see clinical that I have to do, you know, practicum and am I dreading that? Or how would I, (laughs) (laughs) I just raised my hand. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, and and you were able to identify that, right? You were able to identify like, hey, my body doesn't feel very good when I have to do this. Maybe I should just not do it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you're not good or it doesn't mean that you couldn't do it. It just means that you don't, it's not for you. It's not a good fit, right? And, And so much in grad school, like, I cannot stress this enough. We are so focused on the next milestone. Yes. We're so milestone driven and we're so like, 
I just need to get to the next step. I, we're, we're like like champions of delayed gratification. Like it's like <laughs> I love that you like put a positive like champions of delayed gratification rather than like functioning in an abusive system that like abuses us all the time. Like I, right, <laughs> amazing, very good psychological twist on that. Amazing. Yeah, reframe. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we 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 really are because. We're so used to not getting good feedback. I mean, like think about like the scientific process in general, right? It doesn't Mm -hmm. stop after grad school. We are looking for ways to criticize people's research so often. You know, you don't get sent a paper to review to be like, yeah, this is, this is like, I just want to say this is really like great and that's it, right? Like your like whole goal is to find holes in something. Right. And hopefully if you're an ICE reviewer, like give some good <laughs> feedback, but you right. know, that's not always the case. No. So those are things that you really have to consider when you're going through a grad program is like, oh, yes, on, I know. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. oh, you dumb cat. There's a candle up there, bitch. You can't go up there. My God. What did you know? All right, for everybody listening out there, we're just going to do a quick, brief pause. Uh, I just had to cut Shefali off because the cat that my partner and I rescued outside a month ago just jumped onto a shelf that had a lit candle, and I just had to run to make sure the cat did not catch on fire, and that the shelf did not catch on fire, and that I did not catch on fire. Uh, So sorry that I just cut Shefali off. Uh, The cat is now chilling out in a different room, but she's really angry about it because she wants to hang out with me, but I can't watch her right now. So if you hear a cat meowing in the background, she is safe. She has about seven toys, food, water, a litter box, and four different beds to sleep on. She's doing just fine. She's just mad at me. So with that, let's get back to the episode. Shafali, we were just talking about your journey to postdoc and you were talking about not Well, you're talking about checking in with yourself and like if you wake up and dread something, like paying attention to that. Um, And we were sort of joking about the fact that like I had raised my hand, um, but like it's okay if something's not a good fit for you and to listen to that as you are thinking about your next step in academia, uh, which is also the problem of academia, that we are always looking at the next step. Right, exactly. And I think part of that is in our training, right? We have all of these milestones that we're constantly supposed to hit while managing our personal and other professional lives and potentially even organizations that we're involved in, you know, all sorts of things. So yeah, checking in with yourself. And like after each year, I actually wrote down things I really liked about the year and things I didn't really like. And I did this when I was applying to internship as well. Like all of the different sites, I wrote like a pros and cons list and like every single site. And I ranked them as I went because I was just like, I'm going to forget first of all. And secondly, it's like that gut feeling that we have is so important to listen to. And I think that, and we always tell our patients this, right? Like at least on the clinical side, we're always like, what does anxiety feel like in your body? How do you feel it, right? And it's like understanding what it feels like in your body, understanding that dread that you feel is so, so important. Also on the flip side, understanding when you're really, really excited about something and when you're able to dedicate hours and hours to something and actually enjoy it, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's what, you know, enables you to be able to, you know, do a podcast and also do grad school, right? Is that both can give you intrinsic joy and it's not a chore. It's actually something rewarding. So- that's what I did during internship. I did some very, very uh, deep sort of soul searching. And I was like, I cannot do this much clinical work. I felt very, I don't want to say burnt out because I actually was enjoying all the people I was working with. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't have that moment of like a breakdown, but I felt like I, I just can't only, I can't just do this. 
I have to be able to, to do something else. And, and so when I was an undergrad at UCLA, I was a neuroscience major and my specialty was computational neuroscience. So I've always kind Ooh. of been interested in this like technology intersection with, with brain behavior relationships. And so I started getting really, really into that. And, and when I defended my dissertation, that was sort of on that subject as well. I found the clinical neuropsychologist had a special issue and it was about technology and neuropsychology. And I saw my mentor's name there, my now mentor's name, Laura Germain. And I reached out to her in June, right after I started, or in July, right after I started my uh, internship, because I immediately just felt like I can't just do this. And I saw her lab, but I was like, but I don't also just want to only do research either. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be able to mix the things. And so I talked with her very, very early on and- said like, how can we figure something out? Right. And we didn't know about funding and things like that at the time. And so I did apply for, for postdoc and I ended up getting interviews. And uh, I remember my first interview was also at a Harvard affiliated site. And I ended up getting the offer the next day and I ended up, yeah. and, And my job talk for my current lab, wasn't until that Friday. Wow, <laughs> and they said, yeah. we need to know by today, the, <gasps> the clinical site. And oh it was gosh. totally clinical. Yeah. So they needed to know by the day. And, and it's okay. I understand because it's just, it's very stressful with like, like at least in the neuropsych world, we have match sites and non-match sites. And yeah, it's like a lot of the, it's a whole nother ball game. It's a whole, it's a whole different thing. We could have this whole hour to talk about <laughs> separately, <laughs> but you know, it, it's complex and it's difficult to navigate. And yeah. it's like, okay, like if I really, really want to match site, like, do I take this offer and potentially not match and not end up where I want to go? Very, very stressful. Sure. And this was a very, very first interview I went, but it was also a very top site for me, but it was totally clinical. I like reached out to Laura and I was like, Hey, like, can you give me something? Because like, I need to accept this today. And I like, I ended up getting an extension for one more day and Laura gave me the offer. Wow. Yeah. So it was very, it was a very stressful, like 24 hours. Cause Sounds I also wanted like to it. contact. Yeah. Cause I wanted to contact like mentors and be like, Hey, what do you think? Do you think this right. is like, and, and they were like, as long as she can guarantee that you have some clinical hours and you can be board certified, then right. like go for it. And totally. it is, my dream postdoc. And the moment I met Laura, I was just like, she was just so kind and like warm. And like, after my graduate school experience, like I just, and like undergrad and like just all the, you know, there's so many different personalities and in, in, in research. Absolutely. So you never know what you're going to get. But like with Laura, she was just so warm and kind and like went to bat for me and like, you know, got me a spot in the neuropsych area too. So I could do both. And like, we could do translational research, which was amazing. And it was just, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, putting the neuropsych match postdoc thing aside, just because that's going to be such a small group of people that can relate or even know what we're talking about. It sounds like you went through a couple different avenues that I want to talk a little bit deeper about with this. First being, it sounds like you both did the whole like cold email reach out thing and that you also applied to places that you might have seen advertisements for or that were like funding was already there. Did you also apply for funding through, for example, like NIH or like any kind of thing like that? Right. So, okay. So funding before postdoc is, is yeah. a pretty complex issue. So, totally. so for grad school, like, you know, you have the NR, NRSA, you know, you have, or NSF, um, you know, you have specific funding mechanisms in grad school. Postdoc is very different. So yes. it depends on which field you're in. So like, you know, for example, this is like totally made up. Please don't quote me on it. But like, you're, <laughs> say you're in computer science and right. like IBM is like 
hey, we will fund, you know, your the rest of your graduate school as a pipeline to our some sort of program that we sure. also sponsor or something, right? Like there's those, but most of the time you actually can't really, in terms of what I know, I, I don't believe that you can apply to like get like an, an NIH grant and then apply to postdoc and be like, hey, like I have funding. Oh, I mean, see, and I don't know this because I am not doing that yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's important to know because like it's something I also considered. I was like, hey, Laura, if you you know don't get this grant and you can't fund my postdoc, can I do something? Mm. And what would have to happen is I would have to have an affiliation with McLean MGB, like the whole system right. first as like a person of interest. Okay. And then I could apply internally because the institution typically applies on your behalf. Right. right and right. so, so if you, if you don't have a point person, like it's, it's probably not worth it. One thing you could do, you could do is apply for one in graduate school with your current mentor and then argue that like you need to switch it to a different mentor. And I've, I, feel I like think that's I know, so risky. Yeah. I know people who are, have done that or actually are doing that now, but what it sounds like is that you actually also kind of set yourself up well for that, whether you did it on purpose or not. But I think that this is especially in psych why they say like, if you're a year out from looking for a postdoc, start looking for a postdoc. Because if you have that person of interest, who's like, yeah, I'm interested whether or not they have funding, right? Either they have funding and you're just doing it to like maybe get better funding that's like just more prestigious or they don't and they're like, I'd love to have you, but I don't have funding for my grant. Then you have a year of talking and chatting with that person to develop, you know, K99 or like whatever the funding mechanism is going to be to get you in that lab with funding. So it sounds like moral of the story, which I kind of already knew is like early, 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 like develop relationships. Yes. And I know it's so stressful to manage. Like if you're in a non-clinical program, you're probably finishing up your dissertation. If you're in a clinical program, you're definitely on internship and you just started and you already have to look for postdocs. Yes. And so, and postdocs really vary, right? So in the clinical space, like we have postdocs that are very split with clinical and research. Those are great if that's what you want to do. But like, I always say like, like, it's like, it's like you're climbing this hill yeah. all of grad school and that shift that you need to take from climbing to being like, wait, I'm at the summit. What do I want? You know, yes, that yes. shift in autonomy, like it creates a lot of dissonance. Like, mm. oh, I am able now to make my own decision. Like, what, what do I even want? Like I defended my dissertation. Great. But like, did I enjoy that? Right. right. And so people don't talk about that enough. I think in graduate school, like the shift between being a student to being autonomous, oh, because in yeah. postdoc, you're very much like you're a professional, you know, yeah. people treat you as an equal. You're it's basically this very, very short amount of time where you get to experiment as, you know, like a PI as you know, that you'll be in the future. So it's, it's this unique time where like, you need to figure out like, how do I want to carve this time in my life? Like what will give me the most enjoyment? What is going to set me up for a career? Where do I want to live? Like taking in factors that you don't really consider as much for internship and even grad school. Yeah. I love that you bring this point up because I'm just starting my fifth year, at least when this comes out and my mentor is on sabbatical this year. And so I'm in this really weird place of like, that's kind of happening for me right now. Right? Like we have projects in the pipeline and I'll be hopefully submitting an F this year and doing all of these things where it's like, 
I'm having that shift now because, you know, I'm also not going on internship and I've made it very clear that research is my thing. And so she's kind of been like, all right, like if that's going to be your thing, like let's try and get on this like autonomy thing, you know, now. And so I'm experiencing that right now. And I think that that's been such a scary thing, but hearing you talk about it too, as like, it's a positive and necessary thing that like, yeah, it's going to be scary, but it's kind of a necessary process. So like, it's okay that I feel kind of nervous and scared about it, but that like there is another light at the end of the tunnel. And even with that, I love to like bring it back to your point about checking in. Like, I feel like that's something I'm going to start doing with myself. Like maybe like a monthly check-in. How is this going? Like I am kind of going to be, it's not a mini postdoc like by any means, but just in terms of mentorship level and sort of independence with her being on sabbatical. What a fun way to get around with that, you know, way to check in. So I- I love this like whole like story that we're sort of crafting here about like checking in with yourself, starting early and paying attention to like what you really like, what you really want and making that switch to autonomy. Hey, time for a quick break to thank today's sponsor. Now, the next 90 seconds is especially for students on fellowship who are receiving fellowship income for the first time this fall. So listen closely. are a grad student, postdoc, or postback at a U.S. university who does not have their income tax automatically withheld from your paycheck, then the IRS may expect to receive income tax payments from you throughout the year for up to four times per year. And if you are required to pay and fail to, the IRS can fine you. Luckily, there are some solutions. First, you can use the estimated tax worksheet in Form 1040-ES to see what you might need to pay. But tax forms are confusing and errors can take a long time to find and fix. So for help with navigating this process, you can join the Quarterly Estimated Tax for Fellowship Recipients Workshop hosted by Dr. Emily Roberts of Personal Finance for PhDs. You will have access to videos, a spreadsheet, and a live Q&A call held on September 12th, 2021. You will learn how to fill out the estimated tax worksheet and handle common scenarios faced by fellowship trainees. Now, this can save you time, energy, and keep you from being unexpectedly fined. The next estimated tax payment deadline is September 15th, 2021. So run, don't walk. Even if you're not required to make this first payment, it's a great idea to save up for your eventual tax payments from your first fellowship paycheck. So if you want access to this workshop, you can go to deargradstudent.com slash qtax. That's deargradstudent.com slash Q-T-A-X. Okay, back to your favorite podcast. Now, I would love to hear what is your, just like in general, most valuable piece of advice for students who are right now a month or a week or whatever away from like taking the dive into like starting these cold emails, starting to look at these advertisements, like for those students, what is your biggest piece of advice? Right. So this will vary based on clinical and non-clinical. So I will give something that can kind of cross the two. Yeah. Perfect. So first you need to think about what type of career do you want? That's something that you probably haven't asked yourself very much in the last four to seven to 10 years. 
that's not something you've probably asked. You've probably been like, I just need to get to this next step. Maybe you have like this amorphous idea of like, yeah, I'd like to do research or like, but find somebody that is years and years ahead of you that is in a position that you think that you would really like and reach out to them. Ask them, what do you like about your job? What don't you like? People will most of the time be actually more honest than you think. You know, I, for example, will always share things I didn't like, things I liked, because that it's a sign of also someone that has checked in with themselves, right? Oh. A lot of us have may have had mentors who are like, well, obviously you're going to do academia, right? Like that's like the only path, right? Mm-hmm. But but that's not the only path, right? right. So ask yourself, do I want a clinical career? Do I want a mix of both? Do I like what my mentor does? Do I like what my practicum advisor does versus what my mentor does, right? Do I want to mix? Ask yourself, like, what type of career do I envision that fits in with my personality and that fits in with my lifestyle? My mentor was telling me the other day, she was like, you know, one of her favorite writers when asked like why he went into writing, he said, well, it's because I don't like going to work and I like getting up at 11 a.m. every day Mm. and writing just enabled me to do that. It seems so trivial, but like, matching your lifestyle to what profession that you want is incredibly important. And so think about what kind of lifestyle, what kind of work-life balance you want. With clinical, you might get more of that than research career because research just never stops and vice versa. Like if, if you want a mixed career like me, how do you balance that? It's difficult for me right now. Like I'm constantly switching between research and now I'm teaching undergrads, right? And then I'm also like- As part of your postdoc, you're teaching as well? I actually elected to do this. Okay, I'm, fair. <laughs> I, I'm teaching, yeah, I'm teaching sophomore sophomores at Harvard um, on how to think like a scientist uh, oh this gosh. fall and spring. So I'm so very cool. excited. It's very like sit in the grass and talk about like science type oh, course. So I'm, I'm really excited. Living. Um, Amazing. Yes. And then I'm also in a lot of leadership organizations, which I strongly encourage every grad student to join. So I'm president of uh, APA Division 12, uh, Section 10, which is just all clinical psychologists and early career psychologists. But then I'm also on Division 40, Clinical Neuropsychology, just the trainee organization, a neurotechnology officer. And I found that between those two positions, I've learned about so many different people and their paths. And like, Mm. you know, that not everything is linear, that we can deviate from that path and still be really successful and in our own ways. Right. And so that's what you have. That's what you have to do is just get out there, like, like Mm. reach out to every type of person that you meet and don't be afraid to send a cold email and say like on LinkedIn or whatever be like, you know, Hey, I really like to live in Boston. I'm going to email some people that are doing what I want to do in Boston, whatever it might be. Or, you know, I'm really interested in tech and neuropsych, or I'm really interested in, you know, any sort of subject in experimental psych, right? Like where can I find that and reach out to people? Very, very few people actually do. And I feel like the people that do just get so many connections and network and Mm -hmm. are able to network so well, all of our fields are so niche That like, you'll probably run into this person at some point at some conference. I love that you brought up the professional organizations thing. This is something that I have also really loved engaging with in my own field. And I think that people talk about service as like such a mixed bag. Some people are like, stop wasting your time. Don't pick up that extra thing, blah, blah, blah. And like, to some extent, 
Sure, right? There's only so many right. experiences you need for your CV. You don't want to take time away from research, which ultimately is going to be the thing that drives like your job applications and job talks, all of that. Absolutely. But there is this fact of like, in addition to, you know, you're talked about like being president, like having leadership roles where you are managing a team, like it does speak to your ability to lead a lab, for example, or just the fact Sorry. that you have met so many people. Not just the the networking that you're doing, you know, vertically with people higher up in the field, but others who you, you know, in grad school were going to this conference with and leading with. And now in postdoc, you're probably and eventually you're going to be professors leading the organization, you know, or or in industry, because I think that that's also where we're headed, that these conferences and these societies are more and more going to be not just academics, but people in industry who continue to engage uh, just as long as they have funding to do so. So. I think that networking is an important thing to think about at any point in grad school as we think about postdoc. Like, I can think off the top of my head people I have met, either grad students who have PIs I'm interested in working with, because that's another way to have a connection with a PI if you don't know them personally, or PIs I've met at conferences through my engagement with those societies, you know, grad student organizations, that I, as a fifth year, who I know that sounds late, but... I'm probably going to be a seventh year. No, like, like, I'm just thinking like, I already know people I'm going to be emailing for postdoc two to three years from now. Amazing. Part of that is that like, I am like highly driven by my anxiety and like the next step thing. But also I have like genuinely been interested in what they do. And so you can balance that. You don't have to be highly driven by anxiety. Um, But I think that there's (laughs) something to be said about like prep in a really healthy way for your career, right? Because there were people I was interested in postdoc with as a first year who they don't make sense for me anymore because my research interests had developed and changed. And it really, again, circles back to the checking in. What are you really interested in? What do you really want to do? Who's doing that? Can they do that with you, for you? Can they get you where you want to go? So I love all of these points. And, you know, we didn't get to talk a lot about interviews and like what that process is like. So I just want to spend a few minutes before we wrap up talking about that. I know that you mentioned, you know, you were juggling within a 24 hour period, like a job offer, but you were also thinking about another one. You kind of had a scramble in terms of people going out on an interview. And maybe I need to have a separate like postdoc interview episode. I don't know if you guys want that DM me on Twitter. Tell me a little bit about the interview process, things that you learned, uh, and then we'll move into final thoughts and like just wrapping up today's episode. Yeah, definitely. So I can, I can like distill postdoc interviews into just a couple things. So with postdoc interviews, it's going to vary depending on the type of position. So for my clinical one, it was very much the same as like internship interviews. And I've done so many internship interviews at this point that like, there's quite a bit of, and like each day is like, you know, seven different people you're talking to. So there's quite a bit to manage, but important things. The most important thing is you say, I'm really interested in what you're doing which dovetails really, really nicely with the work that X is doing in this center. Don't go in without knowing something specific about the site you're interviewing at. Mm. You have to do your research. Every single site, like I I wanted to know, like, where do I fit in the scheme? Mm -hmm. Because you have to give interviewers a picture of what would it be like to see this person here? And you can paint that picture for them. Ooh. And that I think is is a key point to to succeeding in an interview yeah. is really just tying it back to 
this is what I could do here. And you have to illustrate that to people. And your interviewer is interviewing so many different people. It's such a, especially at these like very, very competitive sites, right? Where every, I mean, candidate is just excellent, right? right? You have to paint the picture of, I can come here and I specifically like working with this population, which you also work with. And I also am really interested in this research that X researcher is doing. And also I would love to explore the city. I would love to stay here long-term if that's what Mm. you want. And like make notes of things that you really like about the site and tell them about it. Like I remember I one site that I really interviewed, I just had a wonderful experience that was the Boston VA and everyone was just so nice. And I noticed that every single postdoc that was there, like stayed there for faculty. And I was like, and I said that to the interviewer, I said, I think it's a really great sign that people that come here stay here. And I would like to be at a place like that. I want that for my career. I want a place where I feel like I can grow and feel supported in what I'm doing. So those are really, I think the most important interview tips I can offer is like, ask around and say like, what was your experience like? You know, what, what did you glean from interviewing with X person and um, like any advice and, and always keep in mind, I know this is something that everyone says, but like the site's not just interviewing you, you are also interviewing the site and checking in throughout graduate school builds that muscle of I'm important. I'm valid. My thoughts are important. My feelings are important. Say like, that. Oh my God. My body just like had a, I just had like an experience. It's incredible. <laughs> but like that tells you, like, you know, growth is always uncomfortable. But like if you start checking in, you know, as soon as you can and keep doing it, it exercises that muscle and tells you that you're valid and your dreams are valid and your hopes are valid. And what you don't like is also valid. And yes. so that is going to help you in postdoc and beyond. I'm like, I'm constantly checking in and asking myself, what do I like? Did I really like this project? Like, is this something I'd want to do in the future? Like, how did I feel about this? It really lets you sort of sit with yourself and be introspective, which I think is just so important throughout this process. I don't know if you're planning on being a PI or mentoring other students, but I think you're going to do a fantastic job if you do, because I feel like, honestly, I feel like I've just sat through like an hour of being mentored, which is like incredible. (laughs) But like, I'm hearing you talk about the, like the way that you checked in and the, just like the way that you talk about what you bring to the table that I'm like, oh my God, I love that energy. And also it's having me be really reflective about myself where I'm kind of like, I see the way that you do that. And I'm like, could I do that for myself? Cause I feel like we all deserve to kind of do that with ourselves. Like not a, what do I bring to the table because, oh, what about me is worthy, but like, what do I bring to the table because it is worthy? And the other thing that I was thinking about as you were talking about these postdoc interviews is how different they are from grad school interviews. And what stood out to me is like, I mean, if you think about it, right, these postdoc sites know that they're incredible. I have to imagine there's probably a lot less advertising in terms of once you get there, Yes, they're want to they're going to want to convince you to to pick them, but like not quite like grad schools do. You know, like when grad school interviews happen and we have applicants come in, I mean, not that we're like putting on the show, but it's like we want students to pick us. We want to train the next amazing people. When you're applying for postdoc, you know, you're already pretty amazing and like yes, they want the opportunity, but it's not 6 years. You know, it's one or two or three, Mm -hmm. or four, if you're, you know, God, sorry, you know, they already know you're amazing, but they have 10 amazing people applying, like, they're not worried about getting an amazing person. So it's a lot less about like, oh, I want them to, you know, show that they want me. 
they're going to get someone amazing. You know, it's a lot more about selling yourself and about being like, this is my worth. This is where I fit in. And look how natural that could be. And look at how much I could elevate what you're already doing here. So I really like that shift as well, because it also speaks to this piece of autonomy about why that's so key, not just for yourself and like having a grasp on what you do and who you are as a researcher, but it sets you up so that others see that as well. And so that you can, when you get there, I mean, you're going to be freaking out regardless, but like a little bit less freaking out because you have this like solid foundation of like, this is who I am as an autonomous researcher. Like I know how to do these things. They're here to elevate me, not to like carry me. I mean, it's really important, I think, to be at that point. I mean, I say this, it's really important. I've never done it before and I have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) It feels very important based on our conversation, but I feel like I've just learned a lot today. Like I really just appreciate what... I've like, I feel like I'm going to listen to this episode, like when I'm about to apply to postdoc all over again and be like, all right, like, what did Shivali say? Like, okay, start taking <laughs> notes on the episode I did two years ago. Like, right. and, and you know, it's important, like, like, don't panic. Like mm. it will work out. What's I know, like? I, I know it's, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so much easier said than done, but yeah. like you have like, okay. So like, say you've, you've done this checking in and you've built that muscle. Like you have all of the tools that you need to know that things will work out. Okay. And if okay is not what you thought it would be, it worked out how it was supposed to work out. Ooh, say that. Ooh, shivers. (laughs) So you just have to have that that trust in yourself, mm-hmm. which is very, very hard to, to do in graduate school when you're constantly being told like, this is what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. and not like you're doing great all the time. Right. 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 <laughs> so it, it's different. It's definitely different. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up today's episode with final thoughts. These are takeaways or bullet points that you want listeners to remember. You know, we talked about so many different topics today and this is partially my fault because I cannot speak in straight lines, but also I just think it's important of like, if you were to have people remember any, you know, two or three things from this episode, what would it be? So I think the first is valuing yourself and what the skills that you have and the expertise that you've gained through all these different experiences. And that sort of links in with the checking in piece, right? Building that muscle. Know that your place in a postdoc is valuable and and ask yourself and demonstrate to interviewers when you're interviewing and through applications in explicit detail what you can bring and what you could change and what you can improve. Mm. Say you can don't be afraid of saying like, you know, I, I noticed that, you know, this this research hasn't been done for quite a while here, but I'd love to re- I'd love to start that project again. Make yourself indispensable in that way. And then third is like never stop checking in even when you've reached your goals because the constant reevaluation process is very iterative throughout your career and making sure that you're doing that in not just like graduate school but also like in your organizations that you're in and you know all these types of responsibilities find and pick what you like the most and what you enjoy the most and always 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 know that like your feelings and and your dreams are important. So make sure you think about that and conceptualize that when you're picking a type of postdoc that you want to, that you want to pursue. 
I absolutely love that. And I'm going to piggyback off of that just a little bit. Like when I think about my takeaways, I mean, for this episode, I feel like they're very literal because I do feel like I'm going to take this away and start implementing this again, like entering this strange year of like my mentor on sabbatical and me being a fifth year and like starting dissertation things. I'm like, all right, I'm out in the world. I'm doing it. So I feel like thinking about this checking in piece and this autonomy piece that is really just like swirling around in my mind. I talk a lot on this podcast about the first couple of years of grad school. I was like figuring out who I was as a person and how hard that was, you know, early twenties, everyone around me is older. I was like really doing it alone, you know, figuring that out when everyone else knew who they were. And now I'm 26, which is vile. And I know who I am and I'm having this realization of like, and now I'm in such a good place to have a similar, hopefully less painful experience, figuring that out as a career woman. I mean, that sounds dramatic, but like a sort of similar, all right. So like, this is who I am personally. And I'm at this place of who am I going to be as a researcher? What do I truly want? Like, precisely what do I want, right? I want to, I exactly like you said, I want a career in research. Well, this is a great time to figure out what that means and what I want to investigate and how I want to investigate that. Is that in academia? Is that, you know, in industry, you know, I'm leaning towards academia, but we'll see how much I can take. And it's just one of those things that a takeaway would be like going through multiple journeys of figuring out how you are, like that's supposed to happen and take those journeys and listen to your gut, which is something you said really early on. You know, that was something I had to do with clinical work. And I've talked about this on previous episodes, but like philosophically felt very weird to not be picking the help people part of psychology. So, you know, that none of that matters. Whatever makes you feel good is the right choice for you. And that's it. It's not like, oh, academia is the right thing because you have a PhD. No. The thing that makes you feel happy, the thing that makes you feel fulfilled, the thing that doesn't make you dread your day when you wake up in the morning, that's the right thing to do. So those would be my takeaways. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I I don't think I say many things well, which is like partially why this podcast is so casual and chill. And uh, I'm coming off a week of writing 10,000 words for a grant application. So I can't oh, believe wow. I even have words to like use out loud. So like, thank you. <laughs> that's been my summer but anyways uh <laughs> Shafali, i want to remind people where they can find you online where they can connect with you i have to imagine some people might have questions i mean i haven't said this but like you're at harvard like clearly you're doing great and i know a lot of people might have questions like how can i also do great so yeah, where can people sure. connect with you online yeah, uh, Dr. Shafali Fang on Twitter is great. And then feel free to like, I don't know if my email is listed anywhere, but shoot me an email. I'm sure it's listed on like the lab website. Um, and like, you know, feel free to reach out. I'm always available. And yeah. and something I actually really want to stress in the very last point is mm-hmm. like, just never feel fra- like afraid to just deviate from a path that's like set forth from you. I, I wanted to mention that earlier because like mm-hmm. I didn't do a typical neuropsychology postdoc Mm-hmm. but I'm very happy and better off for it. Yeah. And so, you know, if you ever feel like you're at a crossroads and like, you don't know how to make that change, like definitely feel free to reach out to me. And I'm like very, very, you know, open to to discussing and helping out in any way I can. You love a guest with an open DM, you know, who's just willing to chat with the listeners. Thank you so much. And thank you for being a guest. I had a really good time like chatting with you. I really appreciate your time on this Saturday afternoon. Thank you so much for being here. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was amazing talking to you and, and you're such a good host and so oh. engaging. So this was awesome. I loved, I loved this. Thank you so much. <laughs> I know that again, I'm almost 50 episodes in, but I will still say, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really just having a conversation on Zoom with people I've never <laughs> met, but I really love it. So thank you for being that. I would like have really enjoyed meeting you. So Shafali, for the millionth time, thank you so much for being a guest. Listeners, thank you for continuing to listen to the podcast I started during quarantine, and I will talk to you all next week. Hashtag bye! You can connect with Dear Grad Student on Twitter at Dear Grad Student, on Instagram at Dear Grad Student Pod, and on Facebook at Dear Grad Student. Everything that you need for the podcast can be found on the podcast website at deargradstudent.com. If you're looking for merch, you can go to the website, click merch in the menu at the top, or look me up on Redbubble. If you just want to listen to me ramble online, you can find me on Twitter at Alana underscore Gloger. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore G-L-O-G-E-R. And of course, everything for this podcast is made possible by the amazing podcast patrons. If you want to help out, you can join them at patreon.com slash deargradstudent for one, three, five, or $10 a month. If you want to help out the podcast in other ways, you can leave a review. Best place for that is Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Google Podcasts. Be sure that you are following Dear Grad Student on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you find your other favorite shows to be sure that you are notified when each episode goes live. As a reminder, all resources and links mentioned in today's episode can be found in the description. And until next time, warmest regards, best wishes, sincerely, Alana. Alana.